Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Good morning. There we, there we go. There we go. There was, a, was there a howdy again? Oh, there was a howdy in the first gathering. That's got to stop. All right, so um, if you have your Bible, have a Bible near you, go ahead and grab it. Turn to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is what we're looking at this morning. We have been, uh, we're in week 18 of our series in Hebrews. This is what we do as a church. We grab a book of the Bible. We start in the beginning and we work all the way uh, through it uh, from beginning to end. And so we're in Hebrews. If you don't know where that is, that's fine. It's near the back of your Bible, just after Timothy, Titus, Philemon, just before James and Peter. So sandwiched in there, you can find it near the back of your Bibles. Okay, Hebrews 11. Last week, um, I was gone. I was out of town and Eric breezed through an easy passage at the end of chapter 10. And and here I am left with the challenging passage that no one wants to preach, Hebrews chapter 11. Right. So here we go. There's some humor there. I'm supposed to be. Um, Let me explain something before we we get all the way in. Um, As elders, we've been reading a book together. That's uh, that's um, kind of sandwiching together two ideas. One is um, th- this idea of um, uh, uh, liturgy um, and, and also bringing that together then with the spirit. So the things that shape us as a church, shape our affections and shape our, our movement and the direction of worshiping God and, and how the spirit then um, is involved in that and how the spirit works in our lives as well. So we've been reading this book and, and one of the things that's come to mind um, as we've read this is that we as a church have things that we put in place that sort of shape the direction of how we are moving in the worship of God. And, and many of you know that if you've been with us. Uh, one of the things that we do, one of the, the, the ways that we shape our, our time together is that we stand together to read the Word of God. It's just something that we've, we've put into practice. It's a practice that we've made to stand uh, to read the Word of God in reverence of who God is in awe of his word. We know that it's true. And so we stand together as we read. And this is something that's common among us, isn't it? When when a judge walks into the courtroom, right? All rise and we, and we stand, right? Or when the bride walks down the, the aisle, uh, everyone stands. Or when we sing the national anthem, we stand. Or, or whatever that is, we, we stand. So we have that sort of in our our culture. And, and as we studied the book of uh, Ezra several years ago, if you remember that, place in Ezra, where Ezra stands to read from the law, and, and, and what happens? Everyone stands in, in awe of the reading of the Word of God. And so standing to read God's Word is something that we've made a practice of doing as a church. It's something that, that we've done. And, and so often this um, does a couple things. One, it shows our reverence, but also just practically, I think it helps us be more engaged in what we're reading. No one really likes to stand. In fact, it gets kind of awkward, right? I'll, I'll tell you firsthand. It gets kind of awkward to stand uh, and, and read the, the word aloud. And so, but it's something that we've done as a practice to point our affections in that direction, okay? So all of that being said, we have 40 verses to read this week. Do you like that prep? prepping you for that. And and I'm going to ask you, I know it's going to be a long time and it's going to get tiring and you're going to start shifting from one leg to the other, but I am going to actually ask you to join me in standing if you're able as we read through these 40 verses. 
It's a lot to cover. It's a familiar passage, but I think it's important for us to, to see it and read it. And I want you to look at, at your Bibles as we read. I'll read it aloud and you can follow along. Here's what it says. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he commended, uh, condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises was in in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly friendly welcome to the spies. 
And what more shall I say? For time would fail, fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking the flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. That is God's word. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Listen, that's a, that's a well-known passage. It's a lengthy one. I get it. Thank you for standing with me. It's a, a well-known passage, one that's often referred to as the great hall of faith. Those mentioned by name and those mentioned not by name in this passage are faithful heroes. They, they are heroes that we look to of people who have been faithful in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of trial, in the midst of all kinds of things that we would never even imagine facing. In fact, that's part of the point of the passage of chapter 11. To, to point out that, that there are heroes who have been obediently faithful. That, that's part of the point. A few universal lessons I think we need to understand about heroes before we even jump in. So, so let me just walk through a couple of those. First, I think just in, in preparing our minds to, to walk through this passage, I think a, a few universal lessons we need to understand. First, heroes are not necessarily ideal role models in every area of life. Does that make sense? And not, not in every area of life. As we read through that passage, you probably understood that, right? I know some of these characters, they were bad news, right? That got me thinking this week um, uh, in this direction. Arguably, the best NBA player of all time is not Larry Bird. I know that's what you were thinking, um, but Michael Jordan, right? Arguably, the, the best NBA player. And I read this week, I did a little research. I read this week that he has estimated his, his worth is over $1.65 billion. He hasn't played for years. I don't know how many years, but he hasn't played for years, right? He's got $100 million a year in endorsements. I mean, the guy is just known. He's, he's absolutely known. In fact, this is an aside, but I think you ought to take notes. So get a pen and write this down. Um, it, uh, if anyone is looking for a gift idea for me, I would preach nearly weekly in a pair of the, the original Air Jordans, right? So just keep that in mind. Write that down, right? Um, the, here, here's where I'm going with all that. Jordan can be a basketball hero, and I think he ought to be, right? He, he's a basketball hero. The guy was amazing, but he's probably not the guy you want to model your life after in all things. He's had run-ins with the law, gambling problems. He's had um, issues with, with all kinds of conflict. And he's probably not a guy um, that you would put up as one of the most humble men around. All right? So, so uh, back to this. Heroes are not necessarily ideal role models in every area of life. You understand that? And, and then secondly... Um, uh, uh, heroes, uh, by very nature of being heroes, are encouraging, whether they know it or not, are, are encouraging those who look up to them toward action, right? 
toward being like them. A, a hero isn't a hero if the person who is looking toward them is not moved to action in some way, right? A guy can swallow swords, and, and I can look at them and think, wow, that's fascinating. But, but if I'm not moved to do that, which I'm not, then, then he's not a hero. He's just a sideshow, right? So does that make sense? So he, he's not a hero, just somebody who, who you look at and think, well, that's really weird. You look up to a hero in, in a way that inspires you to, to move in that direction. Many of you know that as a long-distance runner for a long time, I still dabble in it, um, and, and I ran all the way through middle school and high school, and one of my um, running heroes at the time was a guy by the name of Jim Ryan. You don't have to know him. That's fine. Um, Jim Ryan was the first high schooler who broke the four-minute mark in the mile. He ran 3.58 as a high schooler. Now, I don't know if you can even... Three minutes and 58 seconds as a high schooler for one mile. Many of you can't drive that fast, but um, he, here's what here's what he did. I, I read this I read this um, book in high school. He wrote, he wrote an, uh, an autobiography, um, and 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 after reading about his training regimen and, and all the things that he went through to get there, I was a, I was a mile runner and, and a pretty fast one, but not nearly that fast. And, and so I was I was moved by what he did. It, it inspired me to keep moving forward. Does that make sense? And so heroes, I think, by very nature, are inspiring those who are looking up to them, toward action. This is what we see in Hebrews 11. I think the very point of Hebrews 11, we're given this long list of obedient and and faithful men and women whose lives are detailed out for us. Not to be modeled in every way, but detailed out for us and, and calling us to action. And what's the action? Be faithful. Be faithful. Uh, Think about the context. Uh, These Jewish Christians facing persecution needed some kind of hope. They they needed some kind of hope. They needed some tangible thing to grab onto and say, I think I can move in that direction. I I can do that. I can hear some of them saying, I've thought about this as as we've studied through the book of Hebrews. I I hear some of them saying, how am I supposed to endure this? That, that, that persecution that they're going through. How am I supposed to endure this? And so the author doesn't just say, well, that's a good question. Here are three tips to endure, right? But what, what he does is, is he puts in front of them stories with which they can relate. Does that make sense? So that he puts in stories that they can relate. And he says, well, let me just show you what that looks like. Let me show you what faithful endurance looks like. And if you remember the way that, that chapter 10 ends from last week, by the way, Eric did a, an amazing job of working through that text. It was a difficult text. And, and Eric did a, an amazing job of, of showing the grace of God beautifully in, in a, a very difficult passage. But the way that text ends, the, the author of Hebrews quotes the prophet Haggai and says, um, the righteous will live by faith. They won't shrink back. If they do, God says, I have no pleasure in them. And, and then the very last verse, the, the author says, uh, quoting Haggai, but, but we are not of those who shrink back. We're, we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and, and preserve their souls. We're not the ones who are running away. We're, we're not like that. We're, we're not going to shrink back. We're going we're to keep pressing in. And, and then the author gets to chapter 11 and shows them what that looks like doesn't just say we're not going to shrink back, but he says we're not going to shrink back. This is what we're going to do and gives them examples. Now, isn't that what they need? They, they need some tangible realities to grab onto. They, they need some things to say, okay, I think that that is something that I can wrap my brain around. And I would say this of us, and we'll get this, to this in the very end. I think we need that as well. We need some tangible realities of what it looks like to be faithful, 
But we need that as well. We need to hear stories of faithfulness, seeing the reality that, that by grace, uh, the grace of God, we too can faithfully endure. This is really the first section in the book of Hebrews that's like this. It's been, it's been argument after argument after argument for, for 10 chapters. Now, we've just seen these deep arguments about, uh, about Christ being greater than all these things. We see it, we, we see it in, in the graphic that Andrew has done for us. All those stones represent all of the things that Christ is greater than, the angels and the high priests and Moses and the Sabbath and Abraham and Melchizedek and the old covenant and the law and the earthly place of worship and the sacrificial system. Christ is greater than all of those things. And, and those are solid uh, arguments uh, that are meant to land us on our faces in, in front of Jesus worshiping. And so for 10 chapters, that's what we've seen. That there's, there's beauty in, in the grace of God that drops us to our knees in worship. And so now the author pauses as if to say, Let's just take a breather and talk about everything related to faith. Let's take some time to, to talk about faith. A, a faith we can have because of everything Christ has already accomplished. Ten chapters of everything Christ has already accomplished. We can endure. We, we can have faith. Let, let me give you some stories. And, and so the author begins with a definition of faith. Look at verse 1. How, how the author defines it. First, uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Another way to say that is faith, faith is the confidence in the things hoped for. Faith is a confidence that what God has promised will actually come to pass. And, and the author builds on that and says faith is the conviction of, of things not seen. Uh, faith involves a deep conviction uh, of what is yet to be seen and actually is going to happen. It, it, it involves all of that. Faith includes confidence and conviction. We'll see that here in just a bit, but this is the front side of, of the inclusio, this argument that, that starts at the beginning and, and, and ends with the, the bookend at the end. We'll, we'll see how that all comes together. But right in the middle is, is this list of examples of faithfulness. And there's a, a problem, I think... In this conversation about faith, and here, here's the, the way it is. There's this objection, this, this problem. I, I think we often view faith as something that will only be realized in the future. And we just land there and that's all we, that's all we think about. And, and based on this definition, I think that that's probably an accurate uh, push. But, but I think there's more to that. We, we land in the, in the place that says, no, nope, faith is realized in the future, and that's what it is. Confidence, assurance that God will fulfill his promises in the future. Conviction of things not seen right now, but in the future we'll see them. Faith carries the fulfillment of everything in the future. Faith, by definition, is about the future. And we move in that direction. But here's what I think chapter 11 is putting in front of us. That, that faith is actually something, yes, fulfilled in the future, but faith is something that changes our lives today. So it's not just future. It, it changes our lives today. It impacts t- today. Our deep faith in the promise-keeping God changes the way we live right now. So even based on the definition that the author gives us, we've got to be looking ahead, yes, at the future, but how does that impact us now? An author I read this week um, uh, put it this way. He says, faith is confidence that results in action. I think that's a great definition. Faith is confidence in something in the future, yeah, but it results in action now. The author says in in verse 2 that by faith of those saints in the past, they've been commended by God. They had faith in something that was greater. It changed the way they lived in their present reality. Does that make sense? They're commended by God now. They weren't commended by God when that promise was revealed. They were commended by, by God. Now, faith is confidence that results in 
action. Now, you, you remember the context. The author has just said, we're not going to retreat. We're going to live by faith. We're not going to run away. We're going to live by faith. And the people need to hear that. A persecuted people needs to hear that. We're not going to run away. We're going to live by faith. And listen, we need to hear that as well, don't we? We need to hear that as well. You, you may not be this morning in a place of, of persecution, but you may be in a place of battling some unbelief. You may be in a place this morning where you're battling against doubt and and just a a struggle to have faith at all. And so what the author puts in front of us then is a list of examples of those who who had faith, who lived in action and were commended by God. It's kind of a formula that he lays out. Who's the person? What did they do? How how did they show their faith? And how were they commended? A a list of examples that is um, really a common way to make an argument, isn't it? We say, of course that's true, because look at this person and this person and this person and this person. Now, are we listing everybody? No, but we're listing a wide enough range of people that everybody gets the idea. And so that's what the author is doing, showing the legacy of faithfulness. And he begins with a a list of examples of faith. The, The examples in these verses begin with the words, by faith. Every single one of them. By faith. By faith. You, you heard that as we read. And, and so the author goes on to introduce the person, how they were faithful, and then their commendation by God. And many commentators, if you look at the verses, those first verses, many commentators will start that list with verse 4. Right? They'll say, yep, here's the very first one that we look at. It, it, it's in verse 4. It, it's able. But where is the first by faith? Look at verse 3. It starts in verse 3, right? By faith, we understand that everything... Now, who's the we? The reader. So who's included in this list of the hall of faith? We are. That's how the author starts. We're in this. And so he says, By faith, we understand that everything was created by the powerful word of God. Something invisible created all things. So by very nature, seeing God as creator, we have to have faith. We're included in this list. And then the author goes on first. By faith... Abel. And he begins to talk about Abel offered a sacrifice to God. It was more pleasing, a more pleasing sacrifice than what his brother Cain offered. But what was the end? Abel died, right? And so the second one, by faith, Enoch was taken up by God without tasting death. I don't even know what that means, but you can read about it in Genesis 5. That There's not much mentioned about, uh, about him at all, about Enoch at all. He's kind of like Melchizedek, where we don't really know a lot, but God commends Enoch because he, he pleased God. He walked with God. He pleased God. And then right in the middle of this list, he starts with the list, and then he just pauses for a second. The author pauses for a second in this list of examples in verse 6 to help the reader consider a truth about faith. Just stops for a second and says, let's consider a, a truth about faith. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible. The author of Hebrews is laying out what faith involves. So listen to this. He just lays it out. He, he says, the life of faith involves you drawing near to God. It involves you believing that he actually exists. And the life of faith involves a confidence that God rewards those who seek him. Now, based on that, based on verse 6, my question to us to consider is, uh, uh, do you have a life of faith? Based on those things, that you're drawing near to God, that you have a confidence that he actually exists, and that he's going to, in some way, even though we may not know what that looks like, he, he will reward us. Do you have a life of faith? Are, are you drawing near? Do you believe he exists? Do you believe he, he will reward? Aside from that kind of life, we're told in verse 6, it's impossible to please God. 
Now allow that to sink in. That, that apart from that kind of life, it, it, without this confidence that results in action, it's impossible to please God. And I know in hearing that, what happens is doubts begin to arise. And this question may come into your mind. Do I, do, do I even have faith at all? Am I pleasing God at all? If those are the criteria, am I pleasing God at all? Those are the questions that, that maybe come to your mind. So let me just pause for a second and, and point to the truth of the gospel that says this. That even in our weakest moments of faith, when you're not seeking God, when you're not drawing near to God, which we've all experienced, and you're struggling to believe that God exists at all, which we've all experienced. You're unsure that God would reward anyone, especially you. Even in those weakest and darkest moments of doubt, here's what I think we've got to hear. That the impossibility of pleasing God is pushed aside in Christ. You hear that? The impossibility of pleasing God is pushed aside because of Christ. It's because of Jesus pleasing God the Father perfectly that we can draw near. That we have been given faith to believe. In Christ, the impossibilities are made possible. That God is perfectly pleased in me in Christ. You hear that? That God, our Father, is perfectly pleased in you and in me because of Christ. So, so allow that to rest. Because we get to verses like that and we think, well, I don't even know where to go from there. But, but because of Christ, God is pleased. That's verse 6. He jumps right back into this list in, in verse 7. By faith, Noah, even when he hadn't seen this looming storm coming, right? He, he trusted God and had, had faith that God would, would answer his, his cries. It became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Starting in verse, verse 8, uh, by faith, Abraham obeyed God and picked up his family and moved to a place that was promised to him by God, right? Abraham obeyed God and lived a life on the move in temporary tents in foreign places as a sojourner, as a, as a stranger. In faith, Abraham did that. He, he did that not because the promise was already fulfilled, it had not yet been fulfilled. He was looking forward to a city with those solid foundations built on the promises of God, an architect that, that had secured that thing. Do you understand this list of, of examples are, are people who have not yet seen the promises of God fulfilled? These are faithful men and women who have not yet seen the promises of God fulfilled, but endured in faith, confident that God would keep his promises. Right, verse 11, by faith, Sarah, Abraham's wife, the mother uh, of this great nation, by, by faith, Sarah passed the age of childbearing. But by faith, she endured and, and conceived. She, she endured because she was confident in the God who keeps his promises. Examples of faith, one after another, after another, after another. And I think we've got to remember, because I don't think we often do this when we read through passages like this, that these were not superhumans. These were normal people like you and me, right? These were people who were walking with God and working toward faith, working to believe. These are people like you and me. And we get to places like this and we think, well, well, sure, they were faithful because they were, they were, they were empowered by God, right? Yep, and so are you, right? We're empowered by God to believe, to have that kind of faith, Here's what the author's done. Look, look at that. that that's just Genesis. 
That's just the, the very first book of the Bible. And the author moves from these examples of faith to a paragraph in the middle showing this kind of endurance that comes from faith. So this endurance then that, that comes from faith. Look at verse 13. How does verse 13 say? Somebody, somebody say it. I'm just making sure you have your Bibles open still. Right, how, how does it start? These all died in faith right? That's the outcome of these people. These all died in faith. All of the people mentioned, especially Abraham and Sarah, died in their faith. None of them saw the promises fulfilled, right? None of them. There's this endurance element of faith, isn't there? There's there's an endurance to the end. Again, by nature, faith looks forward to the future. It's not a current, present reality. You have to wait, and that takes endurance. Although it it, it causes us to act in the present, it's a future reality. And so in some ways, it feels like the author is pausing to answer a question that you and I probably have, at least I, I do. If faith is grounded in future realities, then how long do I have to wait? If faith is grounded in future realities, how long do I have to wait? And the author, the answer gives is, well, all of these people died waiting, right? So figure that out. You do the math, right? All of these people died, but a better promise was waiting for them, a better country, a heavenly city. In our darkest moments of doubt and unbelief and discouragement, don't we often wonder, how long will this last? In those dark moments, don't we, don't we often get to the place of just wondering, how long is this going to last? How long? One of the most reoccurring questions in the Psalms of Lament is what? How long, O oh Lord? How long? In our most difficult and challenging struggles in this life, the disappointments and physical ailments and broken relationships and financial hardship and, and letdown after letdown after letdown, don't we often wonder, how long is this going to last? It seems as if the author pauses here to answer that question, and his answer is, well, many have died waiting, but their hope, hopeful longing wasn't for this earth anyway, so their waiting was not in vain. Their endurance is rewarded with the promises of God for something better. Friend, you need to hear that this morning, that there's something better that we're waiting for. We can wait and wait and wait, and we're waiting for something better than the thing that we can imagine. What you're facing right now is, while it may, seem, it may not seem like it, you're waiting right now is momentary. It's temporary. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4, where he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us, what? An eternal weight of glory beyond, beyond all com- com- comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Hear this. For the things that are seen, that we would often hope for, right? The things that are seen are transient. They're passing away. They're fading. They're, they're going to be gone. But the things that are unseen, the things that we put our hope in, th- those things, the things that are unseen are eternal. It, we're being prepared for something greater, something now unseen but, but eternal. There, there's this endurance element of faith. We wait. We wait. And it's absolutely worth the, the wait and the wait, right? It looks really good in writing. doesn't sound so great now, but two different weights there. Weight, E-I-G-H-T, and A-I-T. All right. Um, the author jumps back in 
um, after that pause, back into um, more examples of faith. So, so he jumps back in, uh, starting in verse 17. By, by faith, Abraham, um, Abraham, a, a test of faith, the, the son that you've been waiting for, I want you to sacrifice him. Right? But Abraham was confident that God was able to raise him from the dead. The, the confidence of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So Abraham obeyed. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau with future blessings. These are future blessings. These aren't things of today. They're future blessings. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, as he was dying, hear that? There's no hope there. But as he was dying, blessed the sons of Joseph. Right? Uh, verse 22, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, when? At the end of his life, he's already done it. He hasn't experienced the hope there. It's over. He wouldn't see this fulfilled. He gave instructions of where to put his bones when he died. That didn't seem hopeful at all. But, but by faith, he moved in that direction. Verse 23, by faith, Moses' parents protected him in this assurance and conviction of something better for him. Verse 24, by faith, Moses shoved aside being treated as royalty so he could relate and sympathize and be with his own people, even being mistreated. Who does that sound like? Christ, right? Which is exactly why the author says in verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ uh, his greater wealth. Now wrap your brains around this. Just as Christ shoved aside for a time his rightful place on the throne so that he could be mistreated to the point of death to save his people, Moses is like Christ in that. And his hope, this is crazy, his hope, Moses' hope is grounded in the unseen reward of what? Being like Christ in the future. That's like several layers of whatever that I can't even comprehend. His hope was in the future. And so by faith, verses 27 through 28, Moses left Egypt and trusted God to pass over their houses to protect them. Verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. The, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea looking forward to what was, what was to come. By faith, again, they obeyed and there was action, right? There's action. They marched around Jericho seven days, not knowing what was going to happen, but having assurance and conviction of things unseen. All right, by, by faith, uh, Rahab, this prostitute uh, from Jericho, was spared because she protected God's men who were acting in faithful obedience to God. By faith. Now look at that list. Look at that list of, of everyone who had faith. We would say, hold on a second, is that everyone who had faith? And we're scanning the Bible and that's everyone? That, that's not. This is a list of everyday, normal people who had a deep faith in God. They aren't examples in everything. Please hear that. They aren't examples in everything, but they're examples in that they were faithful. There's this active obedience. Faith is confidence that results in action, and they stepped forward into the unseen. Something better, something greater was coming. And these are just some of the examples. And so the, the author moves on as, as if to say, listen, you can do this, right? You can do this. By, by God's grace, you too can endure in faith. There are others who have endured much like you, and you need to keep enduring. And they have, they have faith, not in the thing that they were facing or in the thing that they were facing not happening. They had faith in the unseen promises of God one day out there being fulfilled. That's where their faith was grounded. There's proof that you can do this because others before you ha have done this. Do you need more proof? The author gives it. And so he gives this brief, rapid-fire survey of 
faith just rattling off these judges and prophets and, and kings. And he says in verse 32, what else, what, what else could I have? I don't, I don't have time to talk about all the others who have faced hardship, but I'm going to anyway, right? And so he lists all of them out. They had a confidence in the things hoped for and a conviction of the things they could not see. Longing for something greater. And so the author just rolls through this wide variety of ways that they faced hardship. Almost as if to say, if I'm not hitting your category, you can fill in the blanks of what you're facing. I often do this where I'll say, I don't know what you're facing. Maybe it's marital problems or financial problems. Or, or, and I make them broad enough that you can fit in a way to apply. And, and so the author here in Hebrews just lists a, a, a bunch of things. Conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of sword. It just goes on and on and on. Some were tortured, mocked, flogged, and chained and imprisoned, stoned, sawn in two, killed with a sword, mistreated, afflicted, poor wandering oppressed. This list of examples of people and list of things that they've gone through, real-life humans in the midst of, of trial. The, the author doesn't want to walk, walk away without anyone being able to say, well, that, that's not me. I don't know how that uh, applies to me. No, the author is saying, you're not alone. Whatever you're facing, you're not alone. There have been people before you who have faced these kinds of things, and they were faithful. There's a legacy here. And I don't know if your mind goes here, but this is where my mind goes. It goes to questions like this. Whenever I hear, well, well I'm not alone. I've got this legacy of, of people behind me. Here's where my mind goes. I, I begin thinking like this. So, so if I'm not alone, and, and these men and women who, who faithfully moved forward, they're, they're examples of faith. They're, they're examples of how, how I'm to act and move forward in my faith. If they're heroes for me, if, I, if I'm not alone, and that's really true, I'm not alone, and I've got these heroes, well, well, everything goes right for them, right? That's, that's where I want to ground that. If, if I'm not alone and, and I've got heroes to look at, then everything's going to go well, just like it went well in their lives. But the author doesn't let us go there. That, that's not the, the, the way it goes at all. The author gives us this future of faith. That, that's how he rounds this all out. It closes out chapter 11. He says, none of these men or women, though they were commended for their faith, none of them received in their lifetime the promises that God made. None of them. There's a future aspect beyond their death that, that they, had, they were waiting for. Right? None of these men or women, though they were commended for their faith, none of them received in their lifetime the promises God made. Instead, verse 40 tells us they didn't experience this, but, but the reader, uh, you, you've experienced part of God's promises being fulfilled in Christ. He's our great high priest. He's our, our greater Moses. He's our greater Abraham. He's established a, a new covenant, the, the law fulfilled. We've experienced the fulfilled, uh, the fulfilled promises of God. And in that fulfillment, these faithful men and women were looking to it, but never saw it. Apart, listen, if you haven't listened yet, listen to this, because this is mind-boggling. We're brought into this again. Apart from what we've experienced in God's promises fulfilled in Christ, these people of faith would not have been brought to completion either. That's how he closes. Without us experiencing the fulfilled promises in Christ, these people wouldn't have either. 
That should be earth-shattering to us as faithful followers of Jesus. That because of what we've experienced in Christ and those promises being fulfilled, they also, in a, in a forward motion, get to experiencing, experience those things as well. There's this future to our enduring faith. It's grounded in the, in the promises of God being fulfilled in Christ. And one day, Christ will return and restore all things and renew all things. And, and, and our commendation and reward will then be a reality. And what's that reward? An unhindered face-to-face worship of the God of the universe. That's our reward. That we get to be near God. Now listen, these heroes aren't perfect. We spend a lot more time on them. These heroes aren't perfect, but, but they, they inspire to action. And the author of Hebrews is using chapter 11 to encourage his readers to endure, showing them examples of what that looks like. What a, a beautiful gift from God that, that we have pages and pages and pages of faithful men and women who have endured, right? That we can look at the Word of God and say, they endured. I've never faced anything like that, but they endured. They had faith. And, and we can say, yeah, they, they faced things that I, I could never even imagine, but they endured. They, they were faithful all the way to the end. And they didn't even know what was coming. We We do. What a gift from God that we have this. And I would say this, fast forward a couple hundred years, several hundred years. What, what a gift from God that we have biographies and autobiographies of faithful men and women who have endured hard things. That we can read through how these faithful saints endured things that we would never even imagine enduring. Right? What a gift from God that we have a legacy of faith in, in those biographies and autobiographies. People from history. And I would say this to us as we close this out. Fast forward a couple hundred years even more, friends. Look around this room. We have a legacy of faith right here. Faithful men and women sitting right next to you who have endured things that you would never even imagine enduring and faithful. Faithful. We have faithful people. We have a legacy of faith right here in, in our space together. And here's where where I think we need to be pushed. We desperately need one another. We desperately need each other. We need that. And I fear that that many of us don't actually realize the necessity of those around us right now. Yep, it's good. They're, They're friends. We get to hang out sometimes. We see them on Sunday morning. But we don't actually realize the necessity of the people who are around us right now. This faithful group of saints around us right now. Because each of us is facing something right now that will later be a help to someone else. You realize that, right? And, and, and someone else has faced something already that you've never faced, but one day will, and you're going to need them. You think that Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and so on, do you think they knew that they were going to be examples of faith in the future? No way. But they are. And so we lean on them and we lean on one another. You're facing something right now that someone else in this room or or in our other gathering earlier this morning has faced. And and so we need one another to lean on. We have a a faithful legacy right here. I think we often look back at these people and think, oh, they were faithful. I'm going to lean on them and study them when we we neglect the fact that we have people right here that, that we can lean on. And what I fear as your pastor is you staying on the outside of community because you don't really feel you need it yet. It's a fear of mine. 
I, I talked to Eric this week, and I, I asked Eric the question, Eric the question am, I, am I just cynical, or, or am I just facing reality? That, that there are a group of people who just sort of say on the fringes, and they don't realize the faithful community that's around them. And, and my fear as a pastor is that you staying on the outside of community, you're, you're there because you don't really feel you need it yet. And the problem is that when you're in desperate need of a great cloud of witnesses, which we'll see in chapter 12, verse 1, when you're, you're in desperate need, you won't know that you have these people because you've chosen to be on the outside. You've chosen that. You and I need one another desperately. And, and, and I've been a pastor long enough to see many stay on the fringes, not really engaging in faithful community. And then when hardship hits, that person in desperate need is unknown by the community completely. And, and, and no one's pushing in because no one really knows them. Who? Right? And we need one another, but we, we need one another in such a way that we're known and known by one another. I've been encouraged recently by a family among us. Um, uh, they, they were in the, the first gathering. Um, they, they've been through some challenging medical difficulties with their daughter. And, and in the darkest moments, in their darkest and most despairing moments with, the, with these medical challenges, in, in the midst of really dark and, and hard treatments, ongoing treatments with their daughter, here, here's what I would see. I would see the husband, the dad, come in here for the first gathering, alone, while mom was at home taking care of the daughter who was struggling through these treatments. And then they would meet in the parking spot right out front, and they would swap, and the mom would come in, and the dad would go home with the, with the daughter and take care. And they were pushing in. They were pushing in, even in the midst of really hard things. I've been encouraged by that. They're a part of our, our township, and they're there regularly. Right? When none of us, when I wouldn't be, if I had something like that going on, I would take that opportunity to say, I'm just going to stay home. They're pushing in. And I talked to this family last night, asked them if I could share that, that story. I wouldn't use their names, but share that story. And, and, and here's what the, this, the guy said to me. Listen, listen to what he said to me. I wrote it down. He said, we're thankful and indebted to how the town church has gathered around us to help in our time of need. So I would suggest that you also mention that as well. So, so do you hear that? That I said to him, hey, can I just encourage our people by letting them know how you've pushed in? And his response to me was, you can, but don't do that unless you tell also how the church has pushed into us. Does that make sense? So, so he says to me, can I suggest that you also mention that as well? And also, your mom's pot roast is amazing, <laughs> right? Now, joking aside, how does he know my mom's pot, and that wasn't like a mom joke, how does he know my mom's pot roast is amazing? How does he know that? How does he know that my mom's pot roast is amazing? Because he expressed his need, he was here and available, that they were here as a family, that they communicated their need, they were courageous enough and humble enough to step out and say, we're in need, and the church body responded, right? The, the church body responded to that. The, the point is, we desperately need one another, but the one another includes you and me. It includes us together. We can't be out there on our own, and you or me not being engaged in community is detrimental to both of our ongoing fight for faith. If you're struggling in faith, if you're struggling to believe, if you're 
facing doubt of any kind, to do that alone is absurd. We desperately need one another. We've got to be pushing in. The point the author is making in these lists of examples is you can endure. By the grace of God, you can. We've seen it. Here's a list. And we have that list right here, don't we? All the way back to the beginning. Let me just read this for our hope. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's faith. And we have one another. Let's pray. Father, my hope as we head through a a very well-known passage like this is that we wouldn't breeze over it without thinking deeply about it, deeply about its place in in Scripture, deeply about its place in the book of Hebrews, deeply about the the way that it also now even still applies to our own lives. Pray that we wouldn't breeze past it in that kind of way. God, my, my, my prayer for those who are on the fringes even now not believing they need others to fight the good fight of faith with. My prayer for them is that they would be uh, awoken to the idea that they desperately need a community of faith around them. That they would see that so very clearly. And if people are listening on audio later this week, weren't here this Sunday, or or weeks of not being here on on a Sunday, or involved in in community throughout the week, God, my prayer is that you would be working even now on a Sunday, in in the weeks to come when people hear this, to be drawing people out of their isolation and into a community of faith. God, God, my prayer is uh, for for those who are really depriving us of their faithfulness as an example. My prayer is that they would be humbled to the point of understanding that, yes, their faithfulness in the midst of, of struggle is absolutely needed among the body. That we need one another. We need to see these examples and be driven forward in these examples. And, and my prayer for those who are, are even right now battling to have faith battling to believe trying to think through is this even all it's cracked up to be just really doubting the things that 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 are the christian life my prayer for those friends this morning in their own hurt and whatever ways they've been hurt and are moving toward doubt my prayer is that you would bring comfort and that you would bring others around them That they'd be humble enough and courageous enough to step out and say, I need, I need people. That they would understand clearly that there's a legacy of faith, a legacy of faithful people all around them. God, and, we, and we can push in that direction, even in the unseen things, knowing that Christ has accomplished all of this. Christ ha- has been perfect for us. He is our great sympathizer, sympathizing for us in our our weaknesses so that we can then be a comfort to others who are also struggling and facing those same things. So I pray that our eyes would be fixed on Christ as we engage the community of faith together. All this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.